Five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast in partnership with Kidney Care UK, sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, related chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. In today's episode, I am bringing you a kidney warrior story. Now there's always something you can learn from someone's story, something that can bring inspiration and hope. My guest today from Cannock, England, is Rob Saradsky. Rob joins me to share his story of being diagnosed with chronic kidney disease during his childhood, later going on to dialysis, and recently receiving a kidney transplant, and the lessons he has learned along his kidney warrior journey. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. How are you doing today, Rob? Yeah, all good here, I think. Good, good. As everyone knows... I absolutely love recording Kidney Warrior stories because as I say every single time, there's so much that you can learn from someone's lived experience. So yes, as always, I'm really looking forward to hearing your story. So thank you for joining me today. No problem. So I'm going to kick off with my first question. And my first question is, how did your Kidney Warrior journey begin and how were you diagnosed? Okay, it's a bit of a long story, but I'll start from the start. So I was born in 1973 and uh, I was born with spina bifida. Luckily, it hasn't affected my mobility or anything like that, but the spina bifida was rectified pretty much within the first few days of being born. I always had continual UTIs for the first couple of years and it wasn't really investigated. And it got to a stage where my parents were really unable to cope to an extent. Luckily, my granddad paid for me to go private to the Birmingham Children's Hospital. And at the age of three, I went in and had pretty much an MOT. I had a scan of all my major organs and they found my left kidney was completely rotten or wasn't working. I've never really got to the bottom of it, but it needed to be removed straight away. My mum and dad didn't have a phone, so they'd driven me home. And a few days later, they got a telegram saying that Robert must come back in. So I was taken back to Birmingham Children's and my left kidney was removed pretty much straight away. But I think reading between the lines that in that first three years, being spina bifida, having a a kidney that wasn't working or certainly not working properly had caused issues with my right kidney. So from the age of three, I had continual UTIs throughout, well, much older, well, even now, and throughout my life, some more serious than others. But I was still able to go to school and participate in all sports and stuff like that. I had to have quite a bit of time off school with UTIs. So from the very beginning, then you had a really tough time by the sound of it, having to have your kidney removed at such a young age and the continuous UTIs. How did that affect you at school in terms of your education? I mean, education wise wasn't too bad apart from the time that I had to have off due to UTIs. I mean, it wasn't just UTIs. 
I mean, with CKD, you can get a lot of other, you know, health issues. But academic-wise, I left school with seven GCSEs in the end, so two Bs, five Cs and a D. It didn't really hold me back, as in academically or sports-wise. I played in the football team. I mean, I'm five foot four and I played in the basketball team, so <laughs> that gives a bit of an idea. I was willing to try anything, cricket, tennis, whatever. So physically, I was always pretty active and tried to be as involved as possible, really. Sounds like you were a very sociable person, so had lots of friends growing up, despite all the challenges that you were facing. Yeah, I think, I think it can go one of two ways. You know, you can either be an outsider having an illness like CKD and be very insular, or you can do pretty much the opposite, which is what I did. I just wanted to be involved in everything, and I was quite sporty. Not physically, I mean, I'm quite a small guy, but I was still willing to try things and to do things. And certainly in my early teens, I took up BMX race and I used to race BMXs all over the country. And considering how ill really I was with my kidney, you know, my parents encouraged me to do, you know, all physical activities, which looking back now, if my child was in the same position, I'm not sure I'd be so keen. <laughs> so your transition from childhood to adulthood how was your kidney function as you became an adult? Yeah, so, I mean, I don't think my kidney function ever rose above a GFR of about 30 throughout my life until towards the end. But I just persevered with it and, you know, I tried to mix as best I could and, you know, I'd still go clubbing, I'd still do all the things that everybody else did. It just meant that sometimes, you know, I had to take a break and I had to stop in sometimes if I want well. But certainly as far as UTIs go, you know, it was a regular thing. In fact, the doctor put me on antibiotics pretty much continually, just a small dose to keep the infections away. But certainly every year I would have three or four quite severe UTIs, which would mean having time off work and generally being ill. But I always managed to pick myself up and continue, really. So what would you say gave you that drive to continue? I just think that it's a state of mind sometimes and it's very easy to become insular and, and to try and hide away a little bit and my personality is just not like that I try to get involved with things and I try to you know to do the best I can really and sometimes I know that we, we don't feel like we can but you know I just think sometimes a little bit of a, a mind thing that you know just have to try and carry on. So I know that your kidney function did begin to decline and you ended up needing dialysis. So tell me about how that came about. Yeah, so I was pretty stable at 30. I used to have my bloods done every few months. I even put it in on an Excel chart. And then when I got to about the age of 40, my GFR sort of faltered a little bit. And I went to see the urologist actually at Stafford Hospital and they chose to put a stent in, which then my GFR went back up to 30 odd and I was quite comfortable but they had to replace the stents every six months so every six months I'd have to go in and be put to sleep and have the stent changed which was sort of successful I think that probably started when I was about 38 and then that sort of went on I was having it replaced every six months till I was probably about 45 and then it started dropping and it wouldn't go back up so then I had a nephrectomy to see whether there was a blockage or not. But again, that showed that the kidney was just failing. So for people listening, just to rewind slightly, for people who don't know what a stent is, what is a stent? Yeah. 
So what the stent is, the stent goes in between your kidney and bladder. So sometimes when kidney function drops, it's because the ureter tube either gets blocked or it bends and creates a blockage. So what a stent does in, in effect is keep the tube open. So sometimes when you have a stent, your GFR will go up because there's a clear passage from your kidney to your bladder, so it's not backfilling. So I had the stents done for a, a number of years, which was sort of successful and kept my GFR about 30. But after a while, even that failed. So the nephrectomy bypasses everything. It's like a tube that comes out of your back and goes into a separate bag. And that then definitely tells the urologist if the kidney's failing because it's not even going through your bladder in effect. And I had that for four or five weeks before it was reversed, but that showed no improvement to the kidney. So at that stage, I think it was deemed that the kidney was starting to fail. How did you feel at that time? What was going through your mind at that time? So when my GFR dropped from 30 to 28 to 24, I was having blood tests every few months and it went to 20 19 and at that stage I knew I knew that my kidney was failing and it was just a a mental battle then to know that dialysis was probably on the horizon when it got below a certain point and I'd be activated onto the transplant list when I reached 15 so when I reached 15 I was activated on the transplant list but it was October 2019 so a few months later as we all know COVID hit January time 2020 so pretty much all the transplant lists were suspended so I was on and off the suspension list for the next well till COVID ended really they'd reintroduce it for three months and it'd be back cancelled due to lockdowns and stuff in that time actually it probably gave me more time to prepare really so when I reached 15 obviously I was part of the transplant list and then gradually went to 14 to 13 to 12 I think about when I get to about 11, I had the fistula fitted. I chose HD in clinic because I've got little support at home. So I had my fistula done August 2021. So it's pretty much been 14, 15 months, I guess. And it continued dropping. But even when I got to 8%, I was still working full time and I still go in the gym. I was tired on the evening, but it was to be expected. But come November last year, so a few months ago, I sort of hit rock bottom. I had mouth infection, a virus, chest infection, and I really went downhill. I had a sort of an emergency appointment at New Cross and my GFR had dropped to six. So your GFR was decreasing over a number of years. So that must have been quite scary to see that. But it seems like from what you're saying, you continued to work full time through that you continued to train throughout that time. How did you manage that? I mean, with decreasing kidney function, how did you manage to keep going? I think everybody's situation is different. And, and this is the, one of the problems with CKD. You know, there's no hard and fast rule. And luckily for me, and I think this is what enabled me to continue pretty much a, a good standard of life, was my output was still high. So even though I had kidney failure, well, extreme kidney failure, I was still going to the loo normally. And now I know a lot of CKD patients hold a lot of fluids and have to have fluid restrictions. But luckily, I was the opposite. I had no fluid restrictions because I was still able to pee. So, you know, I think that helped because I think the major problem with CKD is the fluid that you hold, and I didn't. So I think that certainly helped. You went on to have 
a kidney transplant. Tell me how that came about. Okay, so in November, I, I really went downhill last year. Um, they told me that I needed dialysis. It was as simple as that. And I put it off so long. Bear in mind, my GFR at this stage was six, still working full time, still going to the gym. But I had a month of health, November, and I was really sick. Every week I had something else. And, and I, I sort of knew then that it was time. So I'd gone to the New Cross and they said my GFR was six. I still wasn't happy. I asked them if they could have two weeks to try and recover and they gave me four days. I went back after four days and I think my GFR had gone up to seven, but my creatine the four days before was 800 and even four days later, although it had dropped a little bit, it was still in the 700s. So I was pretty much made to start dialysis. And, And in all fairness, I knew at that stage it was the right thing to do. So I started dialysis on the 6th of December on a Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday. So I did the first week, Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday. I did the second week, Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday. And on the third week, I did the Tuesday and Thursday. And on that Thursday afternoon, December the 22nd, I got the call for the transplant to the QE. Wow, that's really, really fast. I mean, how did you feel hearing that news so soon? Well, in all fairness, I'd had a couple of sort of red alert mid-year I had a call this was before obviously I started dialysis but there was a risk that the donor might have had cancer it was only a small risk they'd found something and there was a 10% chance that that it was cancerous so I have a daughter who's 15 and I I just didn't want to add to anything health-wise so I turned that one down and then believe it or not I had a call in November when I had this food poisoning sore throat, chest infection. So I had to turn that one down as well. So this was literally my third time lucky. So I just had dialysis on the 22nd. I was literally driving home. I'd just been shopping, got the call. She said, are you sitting down? I said, well, I'm driving, if that's called sitting down. She said, do you want to pull over? And I said, no. And she said, we've got a kidney for you. How soon can you get to the QE in Birmingham? Now, bear in mind, it was Christmas shoppers. I'd just driven through Canuck, it was chaos. I got a boot full of shopping. So I said, what time is it now? She said, it's one o'clock. How soon can you get to the queue? And I said, well, I've got to go out and throw the stuff in the freezer. I'd already packed my suitcase pretty much where I had to throw my toothpaste and toothbrush and stuff like that. I said, I'll be there for three. She says, you've literally got an hour as such. So it was just a mad rush. I got home, threw everything in the freezer, all the food, all over the sides, threw my toothbrush, toothpaste. Luckily, I'd already pre-packed everything my underwear, jogger bottoms, Jordi t-shirts, pretty much everything else. I just threw it all in the car, got my rucksack with all my meds and stuff in. I had to drive myself because I've got nobody to take me. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, just, just got there as fast as I could. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And she said, when you get there, phone me. She texted me a number. She was handing there, the, one of the transplant coordinators. So I got to the QA, no spaces. So anyway, I just... <laughs> dumped the car and rushed in. I called her. She met me outside the lift and showed me to my own little private room with a bathroom. That is incredible. When you got there, was it a case of you got there and then the ball started rolling and they did the tests or did you have some time to actually process what was going on? No, I think by the time I got into the, the room and got my wristband on and everything else, it was probably about three o'clock and then Literally for four hours, 
it was just absolute chaos. So I had anaesthetists, consultants, surgeons, nurses, other doctors around me literally every second. So I had an ECG, I had a chest X-ray, I had a COVID swab, other swabs, I had bloods. It was literally just four hours of complete and utter chaos. And there was a little bit of a mix-up with the kidney that they'd got for me. The printed copy of the certificate and there was also a written certificate and there was an anomaly with one or the other I think reading between the lines or what where I was I can't remember because it was all a bit of a blur I think there was a mix-up with the date of birth so the digital one said one date and the handwritten one said another so they were flapping a little bit trying to get the correct information they assumed that 99% chance that the digital one was correct and it was, it was just that because I was in such a rush to get the kidney over to the QA, the person writing the note had obviously put the wrong date of birth. I think they'd just transposed one number, but obviously it had to be double checked. So yeah, it was really busy for four hours. And then come sort of, I don't know, I'm guessing eight, nine o'clock, they said, right, we're good to go, get your gown on. I got all the, the ECG stickers all over me and was taken down to theatre probably about 10 o'clock and... Not quite sure what time they start. Obviously, they put you to sleep, but I was back in my room and in my bed at 3 a.m. All done. That is incredible. So, in reality, you're still in recovery now. I mean, this is very, very early in your journey. So, what has life been since having your transplant? You know, I will be honest, after all the surgeries I've had in the past, you know, different things, I expected it to be, and, and I don't want to sound anything you know, truthful. I, I thought it did be quite easy. You know, I, I didn't expect how hard it's been, I'll be honest. Not so much pain-wise, just the emotional roller coaster that comes with having a kidney. And I'd seen previous posts on Facebook on different sites, you know, about people feeling guilty about the donor and stuff. And I just almost passed it over and thought, oh, you know, you've been given the gift of life, you know, what's there to worry about? But I'll be honest, it has been really, really tough that sort of side of it you know it's been painful at times but bear in mind when I had the transplant on the 22nd 23rd because it was done pretty much over midnight I was GFR six and now four weeks tomorrow I'm on 50 plus GFR and my creatine's down to less than 150 so on a completely positive note I'm pretty much 10 times more healthy than I was four (laughs) weeks ago And I was starting to get arthritis in my hands. I was itching all over. I was very, very tired, although I was still trying to work full-time in the gym, as I explained. Since I've had the transplants, the arthritis has completely gone in my hands and fingers. I'm not itching anymore. I'm not tired. That could be due to self-isolation because I can't go out, so I'm not burning any energy. But, yeah, I mean, everything looks to be heading in the, the right direction. The consultants keep telling me, you know, there will be blips going forward. So I don't want to sound overconfident or complacent. You know, I'm, if anybody asks, I say my bloods are improving, which they are. But I'm just keeping one hand touching wood at the moment. Well, our thoughts definitely are with you and hope that you continue to make a good recovery. Thank you. So. For anyone who is on the transplant list and is waiting to receive a kidney, what advice do you have for them? 
I would say don't do your shopping on the day that you get the call. <laughs> <laughs> it's one good thing. Certainly, you must have a suitcase pre-packed, so baby wipes, an extra long charging cable, headphones. Now, bear in mind, in the QE, there was no TVs in the transplant ward, so you have to keep yourself occupied. So luckily for dialysis, I'd bought a tablet so I could download puzzles and read books and stuff. But pretty much my case was packed apart from, you know, the necessities that I needed on that day. So I got a wash bag with deodorant, razors, everything ready to go. So I would just suggest to anybody who's on the transplant list, just make sure you've got a suitcase pretty much pre-packed of everything that you need. Because when you get the core, you know, there's not a lot of time to get yourself to the QE. And try and have a plan, really, for getting somebody to take you. Obviously, I didn't have that luxury. So I drove, and bear in mind, it's like 20 quid a day to park at the QE. I dropped my car off, literally ran into the hospital, had the transplant that day. Obviously, you can't drive for six weeks. So luckily, the next day, I managed to get in touch with my dad, and he then came over the day after. So already, the parking was up to £50. But luckily, the nurses were absolutely superb, and the consultants and the doctors in the QE. One of the uh, nurses... One of the sisters of the ward, she went and found the parking company and agreed a rate of a 24-hour rate for me, which was great. But certainly if you can get somebody to take you, that's a bonus. So you mentioned earlier that you worked full-time and you really ploughed through some very difficult challenges when it came to your health and despite all of this, kept going. What I wanted to ask you is what advice what encouragement do you have for somebody who is going through that similar situation where they might be in a position where they have to work they don't have the option of being able to cut their hours down or whatever the reason is what advice or encouragement do you have for that person I think work-wise I think a lot of companies now are more liable to to try and help where they can but I mean for myself living alone the book stops with me so if I don't do things I can't achieve anything so for me even through COVID obviously I couldn't go to the gym and and stuff like that but I thought one day you know what I don't really enjoy walking that much but I'm going to just go for a walk so I pretty much made myself go for a walk and I only did 20 minutes and I came back and then the next day, 20 minutes and then it was 30 minutes. And I actually thought after a, a few weeks, you know, I don't mind this actually getting out, you know, it was COVID. So I was furloughed for a, a few weeks. So I started walking and actually just getting out in the fresh air and just doing half an hour or an hour walking just seemed to make all the difference. And I did a plan at the start of that year. Once I'd started walking, I thought, how many kilometres or how many miles can I walk in a year? And I just thought, well, I wonder if I can do 100 kilometres a month. You know, that's 1,200 kilometres. And that's only three kilometres a day. And it's not a lot. So I set myself a target of 100 kilometres a month. And then I started to realise that actually, in the summer, I could do more than that. So I worked out that this is just a personal challenge and this is what I'm sort of trying to get to setting myself little goals so I thought how far is it from Land's End to John O'Groats so I googled it and it was something like 1400 kilometers and I thought well if I carry on the way I'm going I'm going to do 1200 so I'll do a little bit more so 
the end of 2021, I'd managed 1,420 kilometres, which was actually the same distance via road from Land's End to Dronagroats, 870 miles. So wow. I was absolutely like chuff. Bear in mind, I was like GFR 10, 12 at this stage. And last year, I thought, I'm going to do a thousand miles this year, not a thousand kilometers or 14. I'm going to do a thousand miles, which is like 1600 kilometers. And okay, I was ill in November and starting dialysis, but I actually managed like 1008 miles last year. And, and that's not really, you know, pushing myself. And it's just little goals that I try and set myself. And, and what I will say is the healthier you are when you have a transplant, I'm not talking gym here, not everybody's a gym goer, but walking, just doing a little bit on a weekend when it's sunny. If you've got children, go out to the park with them or play football or, you know, because that extra little effort, that extra 5% that you put in will, I guarantee, help you with recovery. Now, we can't all be certain that the kidney that we're going to get is going to be brilliant. Less than 10% can fail, you know. They're the risk that you take, but 90% are good and will work. And the fitter you are when you go into hospital, the transplant, the quicker your recovery, the quicker you can get that kidney working. And it all eventually is worth it. So, what I would say to anybody is try and keep as active as you can. I know it's difficult, but just try and do as much as you can when you can. That is good advice. And ultimately, as you said, people are at different stages. And so, for yourself, 1,400 kilometres was possible, but for another person, it Correct. might be four kilometres. Correct. And, and so we, we recognise that everybody's at different stages and it might not be possible, but like you said, setting yourself a small goal might make all the difference, both psychologically and physically as well. Because if you set yourself minor challenges, whether it's just walking to the shop or walking to the car or walking up the stairs an extra two times a day eventually that will help you in my opinion I know that you're active on social media so if anyone wants to follow you on social media what are your handles okay so I've recently when I knew that my kidney was failing I started an Instagram page and that's just my name so it's Rob Saradsky or one word so that's R-O-B S-I-E-R-A-D-Z-K-I. I've also on social media like Facebook. Again, it's under Rob Saradsky. And in 2018, I set up a CKD dating group as well. And that's called CKD Dating UK. Yes, and we're going to be covering that in our next episode. So yes, check out Rob on Instagram and on Facebook. So finally, I'd like you to give a final word of encouragement to the listeners. Okay, I would say try and remain positive. It's a difficult journey. It's a roller coaster. You know, it can be very hard. But you know what? Starting dialysis, I was terrified. I literally was terrified. Now, I've been through a lot and I was in tears on the first day of dialysis. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's a, an emotional roller coaster. So just try and remain positive. If you can get physical with regards to walking or doing anything extra than you normally would do, set yourself a little goal and do it as best you can. Some days you, you're not going to do it. And that's why I say do what you can when you can, because you can't always do it. But if it's one day a week, if it's 
10 minutes a week, whatever. Just do as much as you can when you can. Try and remain positive. It probably helps if you've got support and you can talk to people. People can always talk to me, no matter, you know, if, if we know each other or not. I'm always there to support people. There's a lot of people on various Facebook groups. Don't believe everything that you read on Facebook groups, obviously. But there's certain ones like your own podcast D and also Kidney Care UK. But there always is help for people. And if you remain positive, I truly think that you'll get to where you want to in the end. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me and for sharing your story. It was absolutely amazing. You've been through so much, but you're so positive. It is an absolute pleasure to have spoken with you today. So thank you so much. No problem anytime. If anybody wants to get in touch, they're welcome. Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. New episodes of this podcast are released every other Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kidney Warrior, sharing faith, knowledge, hope and love.